Welcome to Bitch Talk, booze and interviews straight from the heart of San Francisco. This is Ange, that's Erin. Hi. And we are still coming to you from That's What She Said. It is a monthly event, the first Monday of every month for women, by women. Uh, it's amazing. Come out and support uh, your local business owners and a great event. You can also find us every Monday morning from 6 to 6.30 a.m. at bff.fm for that morning ass. For that early morning ass. Although Ange is already up by 5... By 5.30. I kiss. Even, it was my first mic kiss of the year. Even when you're not in the studio, you yeah, that hit just the happened. mic with your teeth. I don't get it. It's really special. So we are uh, doing round two, episode two of the Coven Film Festival. Um, we had a fantastic time. Thanks again to Connie Joe, Cameo, Frida, um, everyone there. Taylor, the interns. It just... Yeah. It really felt like we were walking into our living room when we went right. to the VIP lounge. Also, and I'm sorry, it's never felt that way. No, and We go to a lot of festivals, we and they're all great, right. but this one's special. A special shout-out to our new friends, Noe Valley Coffee. We made a real special connection with the owner, Maricar. And, and her, her partner, partner, Kristen. Yeah. And their um, dog, Presley. And we love, love, love their coffee. We're not just saying that. The Guatemala... Guatemalan was delicious. I think that, uh, and that's what's so special. No, is the like Ethiopian. Just, I'm sorry. That was our favorite. They were all good, but the Ethiopian right. was the best. Right. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I, I think that that's also what was really special about this festival. Like, it wasn't just about going to see good films. It was also about the interactions that you had while you were there. And yeah. we were having a conversation with Cameo, who's one of the co-founders. And Aaron was actually telling her, like, do you realize this is because of the person that you are? This is why <laughs> true. you find all these amazing people, even down to your sponsors. Like, they don't just drop off the coffee and leave. They were there all weekend. They were there with us. <laughs> going to the panels. Yep. And after each interview, I would seriously go to the coffee corner and talk to them. Like, yeah. oh, we just had the best interview. And, <laughs> and also, like, Ange was super amazing. cracked out on coffee. Yeah. yeah. Yes. I had to ask her what shaking. was wrong. Yeah, I was She's like, like I've had too leg. much coffee. <laughs> I'm not a coffee drinker. Yeah. It's very good. Yeah. So, so we're going to jump into some interviews. Um, we had, we just had a great time with all these ladies. Erica Scoggins, she uh, wrote and directed The Boogie Woman. Mm-hmm. And Ange is uh, best friends My with her now. A, I'm moving to Tennessee. Uh, we have Maria Hoffman of Lola, which is first, it's a very simple like a do-it-yourself film, literally do-it-yourself. Um, when that you was go, shot in. Okay, well you'll find out. Yeah, you'll you'll find out. But um, Ange and I fell in love with that film. Yeah, like seriously. I think we're related. I'm hoping. Right. Well, hoping and also she's bloodline. yeah, she's Filipina, so um, that probably helped. We have Zoe Salakrup Junko and Lauren Soa from the film Marisol, a um, very powerful film. Millie Mumford from the film Gemini. Oh, um, she's. I mean, You'll find out how fucking, <laughs> a, like, beyond... Most people are smarter than are us, but <laughs> she's just, like, next level smarter she's, than <laughs> I, You'll see in the interview, I had to clear... I had a lot of yeah. clarifying answers about her actual job And in we life. should have been recording after the interview because right. we were like, okay, so one more time, what do you do? Yeah, like, break it down for the dummies, because <laughs> I don't understand what you do. And then um, the Coven Film Fest Best Short... Um, winner Foster Wilson she made this film called Made Public we actually interviewed Foster last year too for her film Platypus she's the only returning filmmaker yeah from last and year. she's a badass filmmaker I am 
I would say in the next couple of years, because that's what it's going to take, that she's going to be a well-known Hollywood she's, director. She's going to blow up. She's got yeah. a very specific um, eye. She directs in a very specific way. She tells um, really interesting stories, mm -hmm. and she's kind of not afraid to go there. So um, enjoy these interviews. I hope you enjoy them as much as we do. And go find and support these women filmmakers, mm -hmm. because no one else in Hollywood is either. So. Clearly. Um, so enjoy. Welcome to the Bitch Talk Podcast. We are in the heart of the Coven Film Festival talking to my favorite filmmaker of the festival. Maybe it's because it's the only one I've met thus far. <laughs> wow, but the I, bar is uh, low. <laughs> easy, easy. <laughs> my favorite one thus far, uh, Erica Scoggins of The Boogie Woman. Hello, hello. Welcome. Thank uh, you. Coming straight to that ass from Tennessee. <laughs> <laughs> yes. This ass has been awake for a long time. I know, I know. But and I'm, I, but I'm good. I'm good. I like that. I was just sitting here thinking you just want to hang out with us the whole time, and <laughs> we were supposed <laughs> to be recording. So it's cool. Sorry. Yeah. So a little bit of backstory. I got to. We are at the Coven Film Fest opening night reception, and I got here early. And I, I, my plan was to kind of just meet people and kind of plan interviews. <laughs> for the weekend and I meet Erica and then I just stayed here so uh by the time Erin got here I was like well I met this one so we're interviewing her <laughs> but it's perfect because I reached out to her this morning because we watched the film and one of our favorites so oh. it all works out oh. yeah yeah so and sweet now we have plans oh, well I have plans and I'm gonna move in with you to Tennessee so anyway yeah. <laughs> back to Boogie Woman Let's talk about your short, which obviously left a lasting impact impact on both of us. We watched everything, and we, and that was definitely like, okay, we have to talk to this filmmaker. So, how did this concept come up? Ooh, Boogie Woman. Um, yeah, I like I always heard about the Boogeyman growing up, and I was like, had this feature film that I was working on that was more kind of like fairy tale with this kind of weird like sexual strange outcast woman in the town and I was like this is shit I need to work on it <laughs> so I pulled some characters and themes and stuff out of there and then I was like she should have this she should have a name and I was like oh what's like if there was a boogie woman what would the boogie woman be and that's how it was kind of um how she was kind of born and then I thought like how, when do you you know what is that and it's like well you you become a boogie woman when you start your first period Ooh. because you then have to make all these decisions that either um they label you you know a slut a prude um a freak um the town whore you know there are all these things that just like put you on this trajectory and um yeah and I was like well we don't really do that for men we, we fear men because of um, violence, mm. often against women and, and their own partners. But we fear women for their um, sexual autonomy, their independence, um, biology even. I mean, yeah, we live in a world where you still go to a tent to menstruate in certain countries. So we have a long way to go. And I think um, <laughs> the boogie woman is just kind of like a you know, it uses horror in the sense that it says, like, this, it's absurd that you think this is horrific still. Some people do. Um, but also, if you, you know, are a woman and this is a, an experience you've had or, um, you know, or anybody who has a period, um, you know that there's, like, a, a responsibility and a power that comes along with that. And so that's what the film is kind of, like, 
you know, whoever watches it, they're going to bring their own lens to it and they kind of have to deal with whatever comes up for them. And you really brought the um, being in middle school or like, <clears throat> excuse me, freshman in high school back to like my mindset. I'm like, ooh, man, it was, I remember those moments and they were rough. Mm-hmm. And uh, can you talk a little bit about that in your actors, kind of bringing that part of our, well, my old life, old, old, uh, <laughs> back to back to life because that was, it was yeah. powerful. That part was really powerful mm-hmm. for me. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're kind of referring to the like, the social the arena. Role, yes. Yeah. Like the crush. Yeah. And then the mean girl who's sort of your friend. And then yeah. the girl that is your friend, but she doesn't know how to, re- like all of those little yeah, things. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, one thing that like pisses me off to no end is, um, yes, please tell how me. Just one, just one, <laughs> one thing, just one thing, <laughs> is how adults discount teenagers, um, experiences. Um, if we talk about the feature, I will tell you about some of my experiences there that were um, life changing, and um, you can talk about that. Well, yeah, I'll go there in a minute. I'm telling but, you, we're gonna need an uh, hour with this. One. <laughs> okay. um, but like, that's when your psyche is being made. You're, that's when your brain is forming. Like, if you're having an issue as a teenager, that needs to be treated as an actual problem and not some like, f- you know, fanciful thing. Yes, teenagers can be shitheads can I cuss on this podcast bitch talk (sighs) of course (laughs) um anyway yeah so I just like I as a filmmaker I like to augment moments that are um you know could be just taken in passing but actually it can be like really important and um for this young girl who's gotten her first period she's like a late bloomer her, you know, best friend is really proud of her. Her mean girlfriend, frenemy, is jealous of her, you know. And there are all these things that are informing how she's supposed to feel about her period. Not to mention the crush and the, oh, we're being delivered wine. I love Beautiful. this man. <laughs> this is why it's good to live in cities for a long time. You, you actually know people in the city, <laughs> so. Just, just a little small side note. The, the bartender at this event is my, bar, my old bartender from 10 years ago from the inner Richmond, Pascal, the bitter end. To Pascal. Shout out. <laughs> he just brought us bottles of the booze we're drinking. Anyway, carry on, Eric. Bless the man. Um, I don't know what I was talking about. Teenagers. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. So there are all these little things that happen around you that tell you how you're supposed to feel about your body. Mm. And so all of the girls' friends, you know, they, they come with their own ideas about how she should be now that she's a woman. And, um, you know, part of the thing with the, the characters sort of disappearing in the film is that their ideas are disappearing and um you know these kind of like antiquated like you can't do this when you're in your period you can't do this this is what's expected of you she's kind of like mentally ridding herself of those things so that she can meet the boogie woman who you know is her kind of like mother figure ushering her into womanhood um but yeah i will say like with working with these actors they're amazing they're like we are on a group chat and we still talk like all the time Hmm. um Grace, the actress who played Jessica, who's the quote mean girl, she's like the sweetest person on the planet. <laughs> and after every time she had to like yell at Amelie, our lead, um, you know, she'd be like, I'm so sorry, <laughs> you know, afterwards. Because they, they really start to feel it after a mm-hmm. while, you know. Um, 
yeah i mean they're just amazing all of them and we're just a little family so one thing that i find really interesting when you're describing it is you're saying like okay so once you get your period everybody's telling you oh this is how you should feel and this is what should happen but we are in such a repressed society that we don't talk about these things in a healthy way they're only to make you feel bad or to Mm -hmm. to stress you out and and um so i'm I'm happy to have it to watch a short like this that adds to that conversation of like this is wrong we should be talking about this we should be open about this there's nothing to be ashamed of yeah yeah and even if people aren't like being malicious about you know like oh bitch you got your period like you're gross now it's not like that it's like even when you know you're a well-meaning you know older sister or mother or aunt like hides the tampon and says like put this under your coat and take it to the bathroom and don't talk about it like they're just doing what they think is gonna be better for you know their their person that that they're trying to take care of but those just send messages and I think one thing that like today people are realizing and we need to continue to realize is that sexism and racism and and all of these isms are not you know like we're we're all a little racist and sexist and all this because there are these things are just kind of like built into the way that we've always done things and just trying to start to be aware it's our cultural history yeah 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 Yeah. cultural baggage man um (laughs) Yeah, I'm it's from I'm from the Bible Belt. <laughs> That's that was going to be my next question. Keep going, yeah. and I'll ask that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so it's it's I, I think what's what makes these conversations hard for some people is people feel attacked. They're like, nothing I do is right. You know, like I I can't I can't do everything that you want me to do right. And it's like that's fine. Just like acknowledge that, you know, maybe that your mind needs to change a little bit. You're learning. Yeah. We're all learning here. Well, and not everything's about you. Like, Mm -hmm. it's about empathy. It's not about, well, how does this make me feel? Right. How do your feelings make me feel? Right. No, just just shut up. Yeah. Take it in and try to understand each other a little better. Exactly. I was going to say, what's it like being a female director in the South? Um, Awesome. I mean... I you're the freak of Chattanooga (laughs) (laughs) Chattanooga um you know Chattanooga 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 I know I'm trying to relate it to I'm trying to relate it to bitch talk with her with her chat she has chat issues oh shart Welcome to the podcast. I'm going to have to go listen to all your other episodes there's only 410 oh my god I'm going to binge female filmmaker in the south yeah I mean, Chattanooga has a really cool art scene. Um, you know, there's not a ton of filmmakers. Um, I've had, like, my head under a rock writing for the past two years since I moved back there. Um, but I'm right smack dab in the middle of Atlanta and Nashville, so there's a lot going on right now. Um, yeah, I don't know. I always have a hard time, like, t- trying to think generally about these things. All I know is my experience, and um, it's... I get a little nervous about the content of some of the things that I'm making and want to make. Um, but that's how I know that like, I need to make it. I'm like, just go with that. Yeah. 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 And I try my hardest to do it in a way that is an opening experience for people. Like I don't want to make anything that, um, it's provocative. Yes. But it's not saying, you know, you're the problem. 
because that's that's the way to shut down a conversation Mm -hmm. so um like we were just talking about so um yeah i deal with some things that are like taboo in my area and maybe even all over and Mm -hmm. maybe also i'm constantly surprised by people's openness around me so um i just try to go with the flow (laughs) i mean that's why you two were talking when i got in here literally the flow (laughs) oh well so before Erin got here we were talking for a while and i had to keep stopping you because i'm like wait wait for the podcast and one of them was you were telling me your mom's reaction to this story yeah so coming from the bible belt raised religious yeah what did your mother think of the boogie woman yeah my um my mom is amazing she's endlessly supportive of me and just like showed me what a hard working woman is and I love her for that love you mom um but (laughs) she I'll never forget she read um I think it was the pitch book for the boogie woman and then the pitch book for the feature version which is another level it's pushing some things and my mom said this is really interesting are you ever going to make something that everyone's going to want to see and I was like well (laughs) maybe Mm. not but um but by the time we were shooting um my mom came to set one day when we were shooting the bathroom scene and every time we reset we had to get a new tampon and she was just like so tickled by that she's like all these boys on set they're just getting a a, an anatomy lesson a biology lesson (laughs) like they need to learn this stuff you know and these are all like grown men you know (laughs) so it was just really she she was really tickled by it so Mm. I love that story. Yeah, she's the best. Oh, um, Erica, can you tell everyone where to find you? Yes, um, I have a website. I'm I'm a visual artist and uh, you know alongside filmmaking and a tattoo artist. Uh, oh, not officially. I've done like ten tattoos probably. Okay. Um, but yeah, I was doing that for a while in Denver, and then we got some funding for the Boogie Woman, so I up and left. Yeah. Um. But I will design tattoos for you. Okay. Um, so you can find me at www.ericascoggins.com. Cool. Um, Instagram at red hair, red pants. Those are pretty much <laughs> <laughs> the only things I do. <laughs> I should have just guessed that one. <laughs> okay. And then um, to follow Boogie Woman stuff, just at the underscore Boogie Woman on Instagram. Rad. I um, want to catch up with you at the end of this festival mm-hmm. just to get like thoughts ideas comments and this is your first time in san francisco um i've been here once before but it's been a while so yeah we'll glad to be back sounds like we might hang out outside of this i think while you're here i don't know you guys be my friends friends forever (laughs) erica thanks for being on the podcast thank you so much and we're back from the coven film fest really really excited to bring you miss mariah hoffman director and star Mm -hmm. co-director i'm sorry and star Mm -hmm. of the short lola Mm -hmm. which yeah. We fell in love with and and it was like okay well I hope that she's gonna be here and mm-hmm. I hope that we get to talk to her so thank you so much for being here and can you talk a little bit about your short? Sure, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to be here as well. So basically, this short is a um, kind of a snapshot of a journey that I had over the course of four and a half years designing and building my own tiny house on wheels um, and kind of hoping to kind of carry that story and inspire other women in architecture and construction throughout the process. 
and, and tell me if you, we're so excited about this. <laughs> I know, like, I know, a lot of questions. We're gonna be fighting a lot of questions. Like, hey, you're wasting time. So, did you have any experience Zero. with any of this, and how did you yeah. just say, "I'm just yeah. gonna do this"? I'll try and keep it keep it brief here. Uh, this is a could Look. be. A, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you go. This is your time. So uh, when I started this project about five years ago, I had close to zero experience with construction. I barely knew how to use a drill, um, but I always knew that I wanted to learn uh, to build. I, I knew from a young, as, when I was a young girl that I was fascinated with architecture and design. I eventually wanted to build my own house, but just figured that'd be a far out dream and um, kind of came across the tiny house movement and happened to stumble across a woman who was building one in person. Um, that kind of clicked in my mind. Uh, this was something that was tangible and that was kind of the it, I didn't need I didn't need permission but in that moment that was a moment of permission that I was like oh my god like women can do this and this is a scale that I understand and if I want to learn if I want to be an architect or a designer or a builder I want to just learn the basics um, in a you know in a, in a scale that I can understand. So anyway, I, d I moved to San Diego and basically had to start just by like learning all the skills um, and re started with research, first of all, a lot of research, about eight months of research before I even started any construction or bought anything. Um, how do you find a trailer? Where do you park it? What phases of construction, cost, all of that. I did about eight months of research, found a used trailer on Craigslist, sat on it for about three months because I still didn't know how to even begin. Um, and then I kind of started slowly going process by process. Um, basically, I was I spent most of my days when I first started at a fabrication, uh, sh uh, membership-based fabrication shop in San Diego mm. called Makerspace, uh, where they have uh, classes in woodworking, metal shop, laser cutting, 3D printing, and I just started immersing myself in everything. Um, started taking classes there, started working there, um, became the manager eventually of that um, of that fabrication shop. Oh, excuse so me. So I kind of just like kind of skilled up, skilled up, skilled up, and started learning from everyone around me, from other contractors and builders and cabinet makers, and, um, and kind of just took it phase by phase at that point, and um, started with kind of the framing of the house and learning to weld, and that was the first big challenge. Um, and then took it from there. Oh no! You're okay, hopefully it's not too <laughs> we loud. Still have some noise. No, no, okay. no, it's not at all. <laughs> um, so I, I think my question here is, God, I have so many questions. Um, it's two different things, mm -hmm. right? You're you're starting to build your own tiny house, but you're also starting to uh, document this. Correct. So. Where did that come from? So throughout the course of the project, I actually was mostly just doing um, still photos and my own kind of snapshots. The actual production for this short film happened when in a day and a half in terms of the filming itself. Wow. Okay. We actually captured that at the en towards the end. Um, I've been looking for a really long time to have someone kind of come out throughout the process. and. Again, when I first started this project, I thought it would take a year. I'll, you know, knock it out. And yep. four and a half years later, it's still going. So um, as much as I would have liked to have someone there the entire time, it was mostly just myself self-documenting throughout the process and sharing on Instagram and on my website. Um, and then I brought on Sarah, the amazing cinematographer who I met through uh, my partner. They're really good friends from high school. And uh, she helped me capture. I told her what I want. I knew I wanted to capture a brand video or story, kind of synopsis of the story. Um, I knew that there was kind of some things we couldn't go back, you know, and capture from the very beginning. But I have a lot of photos and stuff to, and, uh, that I can kind of support that with. Um, so filming itself only happened in the course of a day and a half. But the actual post production, we took, we did kind of slowly over about eight, nine months or so in terms of editing and and um, sound mixing and music and all of that to kind of tie it together and make sure the narrative was kind of was tight but I guess I wonder um, mm -hmm. also 
why why did you want to document it why yeah, you know were absolutely. you trying to just brand something and get a story out there so other women like absolutely. us could get inspired or you know I knew from that's a great question I think that's that brings it to the core which is that when I first started this project I knew I knew that I, I didn't know exactly what would come from it, but I knew that it was important for me to document this process because I, I knew I wasn't set, I did not set out to do a how-to. I'm, I, I'm not on YouTube doing a how-to every, you know, because I knew that I'm not a licensed architect, I'm not a licensed contractor, I'm not here showing you, this is how you use this tool. Although I can to speak to a lot of those things now, um, my intent was never to do a how-to tutorial. It was to process a journey of not only, again, a young woman of color in navigating architecture, construction, fabrication, project management, um, you know, these, these, these roles that are, that, you know, at the time just seemed, I didn't see any, any other women doing it. Um, and also for me personally, you know, healing from my own experiences. And I kind of alluded to this a little bit in the video, which is, you know, I did have to, this, this house was more than again, the four walls. It was kind of building a back of emotional and a financial stability and foundation for myself that I just didn't feel like I had. Um, and so through that, through those phases of the construction, whether that's starting at the foundation and really like sitting with what I'm trying to heal from in terms of my own fears and you know insecurities or you know family politic and um, ancestral trauma all of those things those things that come with us in our daily life um, I really I took all of those phases very seriously and that's why I wanted to be very transparent so you know you can see looking back through my Instagram that's how I started to primarily catalog the phases of the house in relation to what I was going through in that particular process and actually I didn't mention this in the film but Lola yes Lola means you know grandmother in Tagalog um, which I did in, in honor of my grandmother but also kind of starting this off you know when I actually the day I went to buy my trailer, I actually had like the, I was, you know, we were exchanging pink slips from the, this gentleman from a Craigslist, from a Craigslist exchange. Um, and that's the, in that moment, I got the call that my grandmother had passed away in the Philippines um, at that very moment. And so um, for me, it was, you know, it was all, everything. There were so many synchronicities between what was happening in my life and um, whether that is maternal, paternal, uh, family kind of histories that I wanted to carry through and speak to. And so I didn't know how it was, at the time, I didn't know how it was going to come together. And I, I didn't know I'm set up to do a documentary on this, but uh, I knew that it was important to just capture those moments and those little markers and milestones along the way and celebrate and honor and really honor every phase. I love I love that uh, when we're talking about quality of life, I love that one of the messages you bring to this story is uh, the misconception that people consider scaling down and being a minimalist means you get rid of everything. It's That's not what it Absolutely. means. It means that you're just more conscious of the Absolutely. things you have. So instead of having 10 bowls and 15 mugs, you have your two Absolutely. favorite bowls and your most beautiful, most the mug that means something to you. So there's something to be said about surrounding yourself with only things that really matter to you. Absolutely. And that really brings so much more. So by scaling down, you're actually bringing so much more to your quality of life. I, that's 100% true. And when I actually was building the house, through the course of three years, I was actually living in a trailer on the property while I was building. And so I was forced to scale down my belongings, even in that journey to get to. I wasn't like living in some large place or even an apartment by the time I was moving in. So even as I was building, um, every day was again ha having to confront my belongings and with those material belongings come the emotional baggage and understanding where those wh where our attachments to things come from um and so 
absolutely for me it wasn't yes I do like you know try to keep my physical belongings to a minimal but ultimately it's okay what's important to me is it you know books is it is it my connections with my friends is it hosting people for dinner party is it you know uh, sleep is it like a quiet uh, you know a safe space where I can play music or rest or recover or share whatever that is that feeling that I was trying to create ultimately a safe space for myself and then you know and then just letting go of everything else and shedding it filtering through but not necessarily like just starting with what's important first and then you recognize oh wait the other stuff is just extra you know um and that for me was how the process kind of and it became by the time it came, uh, came to with move-in day actually it was seamless in that way because i had already kind of reconciled you know what for the most part i mean it's it's a minimalism itself is an everyday practice and it, it's an exercise that you can continue but for the most part i kind of understood what i wanted to bring with me and what i was okay with not yeah so we're gonna have to run to a movie right yeah. all of us but um yeah. where can people find you and are you done with the house yes did you Pretty get the you bathroom. got the toilet in? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh toilet, sorry. Wait. Bathroom. So shower. Bathroom. Yes. Toilet is um, coming. It's a compost toilet, and yes. they're really expensive. So oh, got still it. Saving for that. Yeah. No, I w- I'd never <laughs> heard of it. It makes sense that there's a compost yeah. toilet, but I was like, oh. Yeah. Okay. They're the one. The really nice ones that I want are like a thousand dollars. I'm still saving for that. I've used them. They don't smell, and they're wonderful. Absolutely. They're not what you expect. They're, they're nicer great. quality ones, absolutely. And so that's why I've been saving for a nicer quality one. Um, but yes, absolutely. If anybody wants to follow along the journey, um. On Instagram at micro.modula or my website uh, the.micromodula sorry themicromodula.com um, and the the short documentary will be posted there as well on those platforms and Facebook as well. We love this film and we Thank love what you you're so doing. Much. Thank so you. Um, we would love to come visit your house. <laughs> yes, you're welcome anytime. Yeah. But um, thank you Dinner so much. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Thank, well, you, thank so you so much. much. Appreciate it. Yeah, thank you. Welcome back to Bitch Talk. We are still at Coven Fest, and we are honored to speak with the producer uh, of Mar- and director of Marisol. So we have Lauren Sawa and Zoe Salakrup-Junko. Thank you so much for being here. Uh, we were especially moved by this story, uh, not only for its beautiful filmmaking, but for its timeliness. Um, so Zoe, if you could maybe kind of describe what the film is about and how you uh, came up with this subject. Sure. Well, the film was actually written by Tim Elliott, who plays Frederick in the film as well. Um, And the film follows a story. It's a mother-daughter story based in New York City. Um, A mother who's trying to provide a better life for her daughter and in that process uh, makes a mistake, you know, uh, or commits a transgression that turns into a nightmare. So it centers around the sociopolitical subject of U.S. immigration and family separation. Yeah, and, and Lauren, as a producer, um, I'm I'm guessing you were given a script and and maybe a trailer for it at first. I mean, how did how did you get involved with the story? Because it's powerful and timely. Yeah, um, so Tim actually brought the script to me, and as soon as I read it, I knew that we had to produce it. Um, It was very much influenced by the 2016 election and kind of the way that Trump was speaking about immigrants and immigration, and that rhetoric was so hard to hear and such an assault to what we thought we were living in, the country that we thought we were living in. Right. And so... um, this script was kind of Tim's way of processing that election and he wanted to create something that 
would make a difference. And so when I read it, I was like, this is this is great. We have to we have to make this. And then we went about um, putting a team together. And part of that was finding Zoe. And she was the best partner we could have brought on to this project. Um, her vision has just elevated the whole story to such a high level. And we're so proud of what we were able to create. And, and Zoe, um, the film, it's it, in a way, it's a little bit of a, a horror film because you're you're just sitting on the edge of your seat and you're like, something's gonna happen here. Like, sh- I don't want to give too much away, but something's gonna happen, and <laughs> you're holding on, and um, you're just waiting for it. So, can you talk about the process of of, of, of um, filming this and directing it, and, and right. the way that you saw it? Yeah. Well, when I first read the script, you know, my whole focus as a as a filmmaker and a, as a, a Latina filmmaker is to bring all sorts of Latina female experiences to the big screen. Just because all my life I've struggled to find myself and other women in my life on the big screen. So it's very important to see real people in these characters. And I don't necessarily need to see stories where I'm seeing extremes of these situations. Sometimes a sobering experience where you almost get in trouble is, uh, is good enough to make a difference and to start a conversation. It's not like everyday immigration has to do with like an arrest or an actual family being separated and never seeing each other again. It could be just that moment where you're so close to losing everything. And that can be enough to, you know, have a, a really big learning lesson in your life and to sort of prioritize, you know, the things that you need to um, kind of address, uh, especially now in this like political climate that we're in. So when I read the script, I really enjoyed that it was a normal story of a mother providing for her daughter. Like these are human beings. They're not just like statistics or like illegal aliens. They're just like any other mother, any other daughter. They're just trying to go about their day and their life. So. Um, that to me was like the most inspiring thing just finding like a female lead that was both I always describe it as like vulnerable yet valiant at the same time so you know she's very strong but there's also you know she carries these weaknesses which is you know that's what makes us human and I think that's what makes us powerful and moving Um, and so I mainly focused on that as I was directing the film like I I understood kind of the message, like the overall message and it's important and it's timeliness. But when it was time to direct it, it was more about the characters uh, because and we talk about this a lot. um, Empathy at the end of the day is like who we are as humans. And that's we have so much more in common than what separates us. So um, if you look at Marisol as just a human being, everything else strips away like you forget her legal status, you forget the, you know, how she's like made a transgression, if it's right, if it's wrong, um, and you can connect with her more and hopefully get a better understanding of where she's coming from and why she's doing the things she's doing. Is she forced to do it? What are her options? Um, how can we help her? All that, all that good stuff. Ooh, wow. Yeah, that uh, you basically <laughs> answered what I was oh, going to no. ask. No, no, no. I just, I just want to well, thank the both of you for putting this story to the forefront because just like you said, it's so important 
to put a name and a face and, and to make that person, un, un, one, understand what they're going through, but also connect it with everyone else's struggle. You don't have to be, uh, you know, Latino or yeah. any sort of Or an immigrant to, to, to understand another to immigrant. To what she's going yeah. through because ultimately she's a human, she's a mother, she's, you know, these things that we can all relate to. Mm -hmm. um, but I also love that you, the, the little parts you know, and you need to remember at the end of the day, it's about what makes you human. So when she has her daughter sing for her and, and in these moments like that are so beautiful, like we have all these grand issues, you know, that we're dealing with and all these, the weight of the world on our shoulders. But remember these little things that bring you joy and, and those connections that are yeah. still so powerful and can keep you going. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's what keeps, I, yeah, it's what you said, but that's what keeps you going. I can't be reminded every day of the things that are setting me back because then how am I going to move forward? So, with this film, what's next for both of you? Well, um, we are very fortunate that early on in our festival journey, um, HBO licensed the film from us. So, it is actually on HBO, HBO Latino, and Cinemax. Uh, Congratulations. You can catch it there. Yeah, over the next um, two years. And that sort of gave us the confidence in the story that we're developing it into a series now. Um, so that's in early stages, but we're hoping to pitch that in the next year. And uh, we both have several other projects in the works. Um, I'm definitely drawn to stories like this, sociopolitical stories. Uh, I'm really interested in sort of the gray area of these issues, these larger issues, um, especially with a country that's so divided. And, you know, I really think it's important to, like Zoe was saying, find those things that we have in common and explore these larger issues and find the empathy, find that human connection so that we can hopefully make it a more personal connection. You know, there's such a power in media. It's, I always say it's the greatest influencer. You know, and what we watched as kids kind of shapes you into the adult you're going to become. And so I really feel a responsibility as a creator when I'm working on anything. I'm always thinking about, you know, what are we teaching the next generation with mm. this story? Right. And so I feel that that influences the sorts of projects that I take on and also what I want that project to turn into. So I feel like it's our responsibility to kind of take our country into the next chapter and hopefully move forward and, and move away from this very divided time and, and find more of that common ground. It's a big responsibility for art, but you know. Because <laughs> they no big deal. You're just yeah. changing minds. We're doing our best. Yeah, <laughs> trying to change minds. Yeah. And, and Zoe, what's what's next for you? Uh, well, yeah, I'm, I'm co-writing uh, what will hopefully be the potential series to Marisol. And then um, I'm writing a few other scripts. And I, I also have another short film, uh, short film in the circuit. It's called Maria. And that one has to do with the mental health crises that uh, underserved communities go through after natural disasters. Ooh. So it's specifically based on the spike of suicide rates in Puerto Rico after Hurricane Maria. I'm from Puerto Rico, born and raised. So, you know, when the hurricane happened, um, I started to notice there was like no real attention uh, being given to mental health. It was, and, and uh, you know, I totally get it. You know, first aid is obviously the, f the, the, the primary thing at the beginning, but it turns out as I was doing a little bit of research and what I could find that in these particular cases, mental health deterioration gets worse six months to a year after 
the natural disaster, which I found uh, interesting and I also found urgent. So it, it doesn't matter if it's a hurricane, if it's a fire, if it's an earthquake. This Trauma. happens all around the world. Mm -hmm. um, and underserved communities like are just not taken care of. And, you know, because they're underserved communities, usually it's very challenging to... Um, recover what you lost after these natural catastrophes so in this particular case puerto rico will never be the same there's a puerto rico before hurricane maria and a puerto rico after hurricane maria so it was important for me to shed a little bit of light uh on that subject matter right and there's cultural stigmas right i mean yeah, you could just go down the whole yeah. rabbit hole of everything yeah. but yeah well um you guys are changing you guys are you know changing lives and changing minds you are you are you are um, one film at a time and one piece at a time so thank you so much for being on bitch talk Thanks we're really looking us. forward to the series of Medisol. oh thank yeah, you you're welcome. we're looking forward to sharing it cool thanks yeah. thank you Welcome back to the Coven Film Fest. We are now sitting here with Millie Mumford, writer and director of a short that I think really stood out for both Aaron and I. It's called Gemini. Can you talk a little bit about the story, how it came to you, and, and how this yeah. came to be? Um, so it actually started out as a short play um, that was produced in a couple of festivals um, back in my hometown of Vancouver um, in Canada. And um, it... The story came about because I read an article. I'm a, a technology researcher. I do spaceflight research um, in tech as well as uh, writing for film and theater. And I read. Wait, 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 wait. What does that mean? <laughs> Can you give our. I'm sorry. I'm like. No, it's the very. I'm shaking my head like, yeah, I know what that means and I don't um, know what that means. So. It's, I'm a graduate researcher um, and my focus is in uh, making virtualized medical support systems for long term space travel. So essentially, yeah. <laughs> how how can I be more sane. lost? Wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible. Uh, it's yes. really fun. Um, <laughs> so somewhat predictably, I love writing sci-fi uh, as well. Um, but I was reading uh, this interview about this female gamer, and I, you know, I'm also a gamer. I love video games, um, and I was reading this interview with this female gamer who had been assaulted in virtual reality and how weird the experience was because she was like, you know, it was all in my vision as opposed to physical, but it still felt weird. And I just had this really odd experience with it. And as VR tech gets more immersive, we start starting to introduce things like haptic feedback. Where are these lines gonna be in terms of like consent in digital and virtual spaces? Um, and so that's kind of what inspired the piece was I wanted to look at what does that look like um, as the technology gets a little bit even more immersive? Um, where are those lines going to be and how are we going to push back against things like sexualized violence in those spaces? Yes. I, I mean, it, it, was, it was a little, I think, um, gut-wrenching to even think about that space. Because yeah. I never even, I've never thought about that. And mm -hmm. I, I'm, I just, I'm not into VR and that's not my, my gig, but never thought about that. So um, can you talk about the experience of actually writing a, f a short film based around this and yeah. this concept? Because it's, it's new. Yeah. So um, for me, I mean, I love sort of, uh, sort of near future Black Mirror type storytelling yes. um, and a lot of um, 
a lot of both the theater that I've written and the film that I've written has been in that kind of sci-fi vein. Um, so really it was, it was pretty easy for me to take this experience that someone had that was quite different from the one that um, the main character Angie has in the film, um, but just kind of extrapolate both my own feelings um, as a survivor, but also like conversations that I've had with um, with cis dudes who don't really understand or empathize with the um, with the experience, and so that really informed the sort of antagonist of the film, uh, whose name is Chad, which is a whole joke in and of itself. I loved it. Could have been better. <laughs> Couldn't have been um, better. Played by like the sweetest human in the world, Cody Kearsley, who I love to death. It was very weird seeing him be slimy on screen. Um, but so taking all these experiences that I had had um, about these kinds of conversations um, that were less empathetic, as well as the experience of this person who had a similar thing happen to her, as well as extrapolating sort of my work in that sort of tech space of what could, you know, happen in the future in terms of the VR tech and sort of combining all those things together to create the story. Yeah, I think something that's interesting about this topic and this argument is like, oh, but it was in VR, it wasn't real. But the, the fact that you had a real reaction to it, you have a visceral reaction, you felt something because mm -hmm. of it, that means it's real. Yeah. Like, period, you know, even though it's virtual reality. Totally. And uh, I think that that's just a really important conversation to be had. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always take bruises to, uh, to prove that you were impacted by something. Yes, and I think... It goes back to that sort of, um, for me, it's a whole core argument of discussions around like consent and um, harm is like, it doesn't really matter how, you know, what you thought your intentions were, if the person was really hurt and, and harmed by it, that's sort of the bottom line. And that's what we need to take responsibility for. Mm -hmm. um, and I think there's sort of this you know, tendency to kind of, but it was a joke. Like you were laughing, like I didn't realize. Um, but, you know, I don't think people are as maybe empathetic in the moment as they could be mm -hmm. as to what's mm -hmm. going on. And shout out to casting a female character. Um, thank you. <laughs> yeah. Can you talk about her? And, oh and, my gosh. And, she's a And that star. choice? Um, uh, yeah, Donna Benedicto. She's an amazing up-and-coming actor in Vancouver. Um, she's Filipina. Um, complete. Yeah. <laughs> West Side. Yeah, West Side. <laughs> um, I am not. Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> for the camera. Um, but, uh, yeah, she she's incredible. Um, and I, I actually hadn't met her beforehand. Um, I saw her audition. And as soon as I saw her, I knew. Um, that she was the one. She was so good, so intelligent. She's such a smart actor. Um, she takes, she does barely needs any direction. Like she just takes the script and like can really immerse herself in it. And I hope that more and more people work with her and she gets more and more work because she's just such an intelligent, fierce actor, um, which is what I needed for this role. Um, but yeah, she's amazing. And just not only the script and the acting, but the way it was shot and the CG that, that you include to just, it, it yeah. was just really smartly um, inputted and in, interwoven into the film where it wasn't too much, but those little flashes that you get yeah. really, um, it's just the perfect 
I, I thought it was the perfect combination of like CG just to, to flash back and, and to get that emotion. Yeah, we had to be sparing with our visual effects, um, partially due to budget, but also because um, it was an eight day filmmaking challenge. So the entire film was wow. cr made in eight days. Um, so we had two and a half days to shoot and then five days for post. Um, so we had to use our VFX shots very specifically because, um, you know, if we had time, I'm sure there would have been a lot more cool VFX. Um, I like the minimal. Yeah. yeah. It, it worked. Yeah. Yeah. And there was something, it, there was actually a question I got about it yesterday where I kind of wanted the virtual world to be fairly tangible. Um, I've, sometimes I've seen when representing like a virtual world, people go into animation or um, sort of really heavy VFX. Um, but because the experience for the character was so tangible, I kind of wanted the virtual world to also have sort of a tactile um, component to it. Um, we have to wrap up our interview, but what are you up to next? Are you doing more film yeah. besides <laughs> what other job you have that yeah. that is beyond my my capabilities? <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm currently working on a couple projects in between trying to defend my master's thesis, which is a whole other kettle of fish. Um, but I am yeah, working. You're, you're really smart, and I'm really. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyways, you're so smart. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm intimidated, oh. Millie. Oh, no, don't be intimidated. Um, I am working on a web series um, that's looking at... It's actually a doc. I'm new to documentary. Haven't done any of it. I'm mostly narrative person. Um, but uh, me and a friend of mine are doing a documentary series that's kind of like Bill Nye Magic School Bus vibes um, about engineering projects for uh, climate action. Um, so looking at different scientists uh, and engineers, mostly around Vancouver, where I'm from, um, who are doing large-scale projects for climate action. So that's kind of what I'm working on next month. Um, and then I'm working on two more shorts and a feature um, that I'm hoping to get, you know, money for, because money is scarce. But <laughs> Awesome. Aren't we all? Yeah, yeah. Well, on the topic of that, where can people find you? Where can they support your projects? Oh, yeah. Um, so the, the doc that's coming out is going to be online probably, I want to say, like, May or June. It's going to be called Nerds for Earth. Um, <laughs> we're creating a whole sort of social media movement around that. Um, but to find me, I'm easiest uh, to be found on the Instagrams um, at Milligrams. So M-I-L-Y-G-R-A-M-S. Uh, yeah. That's well, thank you, you so me. much for coming on. I know you don't thank feel you. well, but you're you're so talented, and we can't oh, wait thank to you follow so you and, and see you what you do next. You guys are amazing. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Thank you. Thank you. We have uh, one of our favorite filmmakers from this film festival, mm -hmm. Foster Wilson, who we chatted with last year and loved uh, her film. I'm not remembering the title, but it had to do with platypus. Oh, platypus. platypus. <laughs> that, that's why she's my she's my right hand. Um, <laughs> But this year you had a film, have a film called Made Public. Yes. And um, I texted Anne right away, right after I watched it. I'm like, oh my God, she did it again. Aw. <laughs> That's so sweet. So can you talk about Made Public since I'm going to guess our audience hasn't seen it yet? So. Of course. Yeah. Uh, Made Public is a, a narrative comedy about a, a guy who shares a little too much on social media the night before his wedding. Mm -hmm. And uh, we open at the wedding with the uh, damage that has been done. And we're, we're kind of 
uh, going with him on a journey to find his bride and figure out how to remedy what he just did. So. One thing that I find really funny about both of your shorts that we've seen is you didn't write either of them. They both were written by someone else and sort of brought to you. But yeah. what's up with the whole marriage thing? I know. Twisted <laughs> logic on, on it, weddings. It is it is true. They have both had a, a, a wedding theme, marriage theme. Um, yeah. I did not write either of them. Platypus was written by Caden Douglas, who's a friend, and uh, made public's written by my husband, Brian Leahy. Um, we, I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> not all my movies are about weddings uh, and marriage, but uh, I have been married for almost 10 years, and uh, I think the planning of our wedding was very uh, much in, in our minds, um, mm. that whole process. Uh, Brian wrote a lot about it. He had a blog when we were oh. getting married called The Groom Says. He was one of the only male bloggers in the space at the time. Yeah, it's the archives are all still up there. Um, I think in part that was, there are little bits and pieces of that voice that ended up in Made Public as well. Um, but I'm interested in, in weddings in particular as this uh, very public uh I don't know, expression of a very intimate, private love between two people. Mm -hmm. And um, that was what struck me most about Made Public was when I read it was like, here are these these people who have something so, they have their own relationship between the two of them that nobody else knows about. But here we're going to get up, up in front of everybody. And how, is it traditional? Is it modern? Are we throwing tradition out the window? What are we keeping from our from our parents' weddings? You know, what are, it's all very public and that's where we sort of throw in the social media element and see what is a modern wedding today and how how does that affect everyone <laughs> so. i'm actually going through wedding planning myself right now oh yeah so wow. my fiance and i watching this he's like this is going to be our wedding not the social media portion but just it just like she's officiating the wedding oh angela my God. is yeah i know I'm not going to tell you how I'd vote, though. Uh, That's right, my secret. Right, okay. Ew. <laughs> she's she's my best friend. Um, but, I mean, she is ordained, so it's just Great. a natural fit. Amazing. But um, I loved the theme, and I loved your actors. Can they're you talk great. about Aren't your actors, great? please? Yeah. So Janine Mason, who a, plays a bride, uh, is now a dear friend. She was in another short of mine called Waffles, um, which is we, we met on a feature that I was shadowing on and he was like that woman is amazing and uh, luckily she came on and did waffles and then when I had this I was like please another short with me and she was like yes um, she's just she's just dynamic and compelling and so grounded and game to play um, she brought on Josh Zuckerman they had worked I, I didn't have anybody in mind for him in particular it was a real blank slate when it came to the groom uh, I knew what I didn't want and I knew what I needed but I didn't know who that person was um, and I immediately when she signed on was like okay who do you want to work with and who have you worked with and who do you love and um, she and Josh have played a couple five times together before that's <laughs> why it's so yeah. good connection yeah. yeah their chemistry is really strong and uh we went to see him in a play um and i was blown away by his work and i just said hey I don't, do you want to do this and you want to come to my house and like read this with me just so we can make sure that we are both a good fit personality wise just actor director and he did and he was so kind and generous but they're wonderful and then i have this amazing cast of characters who fill out the ensemble of the film um who are all actors that i have mostly have known just from my acting days and been fans of their work and i'm always trying to fit them into a project and so it's 
really nice and I get to use uh, Leandro Cano as the dad. He's like this mafia type. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, just as like, y'all. He steals the, the screen in those steals few it. seconds. He's yeah. just this, you know, protecting his daughter. Um, uh, Danny Jollis, who I've loved his work. He's on Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. He's a stand-up comic. And I just, uh, like, I didn't know him at all. I just was a fan and reached out to him. And he was like, sure, I'll do it. Love him. So, Which yeah. guest was that? He plays Terry, um, who's, like, the best friend who's kind of inappropriate. Oh, and from college? From, from college. Yeah, 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 yeah. Terry. <laughs> Dave's roommate from Michigan State, Terry. Yeah. He felt very familiar. Yeah. Like, he's you awesome. just know, but you know that guy. Yeah. And you need to go on Instagram and watch his stand-up because he's hilarious. So good. Yeah. One thing that I really love about your work is not only do you are is your audience invested within those first few seconds, like okay, I'm game, and you take us for this yeah. ride, and there's twists and there's turns, mm. but it also feels like you can feel that you had fun making it. Like it's just it's just such a pleasure to watch and to be taken on this ride with you and, and, and following the twists and the turns. Oh, thank you. Yeah, fun, stressful fun. <laughs> right, right. right. But Although, as always, but yes, yes. Um, I mean that is the goal right you know and to be prepared enough that you can play and have fun and give people one more one more take for for them and and things like that um so yeah we had we had a blast and it was surrounded by people that I really knew very well for the most part in terms of cast and and also uh, extras all the background all the wedding guests are mostly friends and friends of friends and neighbors and neighbors friends grandmas and like all these people half of whom were actors and half were not at all but just came out for the day so that was really special too yeah. The one guest we haven't talked about, I don't know his name, the African-American gentleman. Stephen I mean, Peck. Kind of my Stephen favorite. Stephen Amethyst Peck. And have we seen him on other... He seems very familiar, or he he's is, just a newbie. Um, he's uh, he's kind of a newbie. I would like to say I discovered him. Um, <laughs> um, no, you should say you discovered him. <laughs> um, he is such a sweetheart. I got my start in directing in a, 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 a group of... Um, community collaborative group of filmmakers essentially and he was one of the actors who came we'd show up read short scripts and throw them up on their feet and just kind of see if we wanted to make anything very low budget and he just was one of these actors who you know he he wanted to act he hadn't really done a lot of it he would get up there and read something cold and he was hysterical or heartbreakingly you know sweet and I just I loved his work and I finally fit him into a part and I just he kills it he steals the show and he, he does, does. <laughs> he is on YouTube he has his own show on YouTube now and he he is getting out there and he is auditioning and working and I'm so so happy for him because he's just He's, he's dynamite. We get so many compliments about him, too. And I'm, I always pass them back along to him. Maybe you can write a short for him specifically. I mean, right? I... I would watch that in a heartbeat. Right. I don't know right. what it would be. I don't. I actually don't even care. It kind of like, could just, be anything. Yes. You read the phone book. Well, maybe. if it's wedding themed, you know, I could play the bride. Just uh, putting it perfect. out there. Perfect. <laughs> done. 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 Or maybe the groom. Really? In this case, maybe. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, she was a little. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever. <laughs> so um, we haven't seen you in a year. Mm. Um, what else have you been up to, and what does 2020 look? for? look like for you yeah um so uh, so i've been taking this film around um it premiered in march at cinequest it's been on the festival circuit okay. and uh sort of coming to the tail end of our run it's also online if anyone wants to go oh, watch it it's right. on vimeo on short of the week it's also on youtube we just surpassed a million views on youtube which is Congrats. thanks to amaletto awesome. yeah. yeah um it's just it's had a life of its own which is really wonderful um brian and i have moved on to our other projects we have um a short called five stages of grief that we're looking for funding 
standing for. It's a farce um, about grief. And uh, and we have two features that we're developing. Um, one's a dark comedy and one's a more like based on, inspired by true events. Um, uh, uh, family separation at the border sort of story that has heart and, and, and humor and uh um, and then we, I have a short film called Dame. It's about Elizabeth Taylor, uh, 1958. And I was hired to direct that by the writer, actress, Grace Kendall. Um, and we shot that in September and we just, just finished color and everything this week. So we're taking that out to festivals as well. So hopefully that will hit in the spring, summer. Hoping. I think there yeah. will be a big audience for something like I that. Hope so. so it's really special and unique, and um, I was so glad to be part of it. So wow, yeah. congratulations! Thank you. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Thank you so much for being on Bitch Talk again. Yay. Thank and you. Thank you so for, glad to be back. And thank you for being at Coven Fest. Yes, yeah. we love this festival. Yeah, yeah it's great, amazing. Yay! Thank you, Foster. So those were our interviews from the Coven Film Festival with Erica Scoggins, Mariah Hoffman, Zoe Salakrup Junko, Lauren Sowa, Millie Mumford, and Foster Wilson. Please find their films. Uh, we will be tagging them on all our socials so you can find them that way. But support women in film. There's plenty of women doing a fantastic film, even if Hollywood uh, is not recognizing them. We are here. We're just gonna have a bitch talk uh, awards show at some point. Can we? Oh, I kinda God, want to. that sounds, that can be one of our live events and we can invite our favorites of what, okay. Yeah, but okay, we that's need a, a budget. For that's a conversation for after yeah. this. Yeah. Uh, but I also wanted to say, uh, you know, it's really hard to have the time to do research on who's an independent filmmaker and where can I find this and that. Support your local festivals as well. Coven Film Fest has, was started uh, through the blood, sweat and tears of a, a handful of just really focused badass women and uh, you know trust in, in their work and, and show up and pay the small fee that it takes to watch these incredible films and and broaden your horizons and 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 it's really rewarding. I mean, we're exhausted, but how incredible was this weekend? <laughs> it was incredible. And shout out to the Roxy Theater for supporting such a film festival. So mm. um, thanks for listening. Uh, we will see you soon. Uh, actually, we'll see you on Friday when we talk to Tony Newman, who is one of the featured speakers at the San Francisco Women's March. Guess what? We're going to be at the SF Women's March, too. This is Maybe a la lady-heavy month. I love it. Yeah, a lot of vaginas. <laughs> or not. <laughs> Anyways, you can find us at bitchtalkpodcast.com. You can also find us every Monday morning from 6 to 6.30 at bff.fm. We're headed to Sundance, everybody. Please don't forget to come out on Sunday to the social study. It's right off of Fillmore and Geary. Come at 5 p.m. We're having a fundraiser for our trip to Sundance. We're really excited. We're going to be talking to some big names, some independent filmmakers, and even buying a drink will support our cause. So yeah, I hope and, to see you there. And we have a bunch of raffle prizes from uh, friends of the show, W. Kamau Bell, Lyrics Born, uh, Fleetwood SF, and Jackie from Moonlooms. Uh, oh, and Story San Francisco is donating some swag. So come through, buy a raffle ticket, buy a drink, come say hi to us, you know, spank our ass, whatever you want, really. Whoa. <laughs> whatever you want. <laughs> We're not ashamed. Uh... We are powered by GoTo Productions. Bitch, please. <laughs> <laughs>